Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoy today's message. So today I want to look at the heart of a forerunner. And last week I talked about the heart of a forerunner in our, our last message. And today I want to look at the heart of a forerunner equals the heart of a servant. And, you know, the, the race series is, this is the sixth message. So it's, it's been a pretty solid series. There's been a number of messages there. And like I said, go online. You can, you can find out uh, more about what we're talking about. But we want to look at what is the heart of a forerunner. Because here's the thing. It could initially sound kind of arrogant, couldn't it? A for, I'm a forerunner. Because oh, I go ahead of everybody. I'm in front of everybody. I'm like this hero, right? It could sound like that. But the, here's the reality. When you look at the Bible, when you and I look at the Bible, which we're going to do today, and you're like, good, pastor, good. We're going to look at the Bible. When we look at the Bible, you realize that a forerunner mindset is a servant-hearted mindset. It's actually a laying down your life mindset. It really is. And so I think it's important that we understand what that means, but also that when we embrace that, there's blessing. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't always like the word sacrifice. Anybody else feel that way? Sacrifice. Yes, I love that word. I love to hear about sacrifice and how I, I can sacrifice and give my life. None of us really likes it in kind of ourselves, but we do like the fruit of it. Honestly, let me say that. When you and I sacrifice and give to God and serve him the way he calls us to, there is a great blessing. And I want to look at that today. So a forerunner is actually a servant. It's actually somebody that's more concerned about others. You know, there's a story that I've been racking my brain with all week to try to get the exact name of the person. And I couldn't. Even this morning, I was sitting looking at my phone trying to figure out this story, and I still don't have the person. So I'm just, so, full disclosure, I, I can't think of the famous name of the person, but, but I know it's a true story. I've heard it. It was on the internet. I know it's true. <laughs> no, I, I, I've heard this story over the years. Here's a story. There was a ship that came into New York. It was bringing a uh, famous missionary. And it was someone who, who was coming home after a long time being away. And this is in the days when you travel by ship, not by air. So it's a while ago, obviously. And he came on shore and the reporters surrounded him and were talking to him about what his experiences were and welcoming him back to the United States. It was in New York and it was amazing. But all of a sudden he stopped the interview and he said, excuse me, uh, gentlemen, excuse me for a moment. And he just kind of put his bags down and he went over uh, some distance. And there was a woman who was struggling with her bags, her luggage, right? And he noticed this woman with her luggage. And so he put his his luggage down he stopped his interview process and he went over and he helped the woman with her luggage and then he came back and said okay now where were we and it's amazing that what was reported by those reporters at that moment was not all the stuff that he was talking about it was actually the fact that he saw that woman and was willing to help her he was a big deal right he's a really big deal they wanted to hear from him they wanted to celebrate him and yet he had such a mindset of service he was such a forerunner in the way that he lived that he literally saw that woman with her luggage and chose to break up his interview and go and help her. And I, I, when I, it left so much impact on me that I can't remember his name. But, but I, when I heard that story, though, I mean, it stuck with me. Through the years, I've thought of that story. If anybody knows who that is, come and talk to me, please, because 
It's going to keep me up at night now, wondering who that was. Um, but, but the reality is that just shows something. That shows a heart. And I want to look today at, start off by looking at John the Baptist, who next to Jesus is probably the greatest forerunner in the Bible. And his whole purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus and his ministry on earth. His whole purpose was actually not for himself. It wasn't his ministry. It wasn't what he was called to do. What he was called to do was make the way for another. Isn't that interesting? His, his job was to do that. And actually, his role wasn't very long, was it? It really wasn't very long that he fulfilled what he was called to do. Yet we remember him. And here's what happens in John chapter 1. Uh, so a little bit of background. John is, is, has quite a ministry, John the Baptist. And his ministry is baptizing, as his name would indicate. So he has a, a number, a large group of followers, and people are being baptized. And he's challenging them to repent. You know, he's, he's really challenging the religious people. And he's calling them to repentance. And then he's baptizing them. And, and people are flocking to hear him. So he, he's a big deal. He's a, he's a really successful person. But here's what happens. The next day, John saw Jesus coming and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this is after Jesus had been baptized by John, which is another amazing story. John sees Jesus coming and the Holy Spirit tells him that this is the Messiah. And so Jesus has asked him to baptize him. And John says, actually, you should be baptizing me. He says, no, no, I need you to baptize me. So Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And then the next day, Jesus comes towards him and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am. He existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Isn't that something? Totally gets his role. I was baptizing water with water so this person could be revealed. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples as Jesus walked by. So it happens again. So he points it out to his disciples. Another day goes by. Jesus walks by again. And he says to his disciples, uh, look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. One of them was John, John uh, the Beloved, who followed Jesus. And in the New King James Version, it says, actually, behold the Lamb of God. And Clem Ferris last week, uh, when he spoke here briefly, shared that. By the way, if you missed last Sunday, um, you, and you, and you want to hear some uh, words that we got, we call them prophetic words, where, uh, you know, there was uh, people listened to God on our behalf and spoke some things over our church. Val and I were prayed for, uh, Joel and Dee Purdy were prayed for by uh, Diane Harrison and Clem Ferris. I'd encourage you to let us know. We'll get those to you so that you can listen to those because they were really powerful. But um, last week, Clem talked about, behold the Lamb of God. And so that was what was happening here. John was pointing, John was pointing uh, out Jesus. He, was, he had his own following. He had his own ministry. But he knew that his job was actually not about him. He knew his job was about Jesus. Now, let me just say something real right off the top. You, your and my job, your and my calling is not about us. It's about Jesus, right? And it's about other people. It's about us pointing other people to Jesus. That's really, look at what John was doing. He was going, there's the Lamb of God. There's the Messiah, right? And he was pointing him out to his disciples. That's our role. That's a forerunner role, making the way for the Messiah. Well, let's look at another story here. 
another example of what it means to be a servant. And uh, you remember this story, Mark chapter 10. Many of you remember James and John, the sons of thunder. How many of you would like to have that nickname, the sons of thunder? Hey, Doug, that'd be like a good, be like a motorcycle gang or something, right? The sons of thunder. It's very spiritual. And so, so James and John, they're the sons of thunder. And um, anyway, they come to Jesus. Actually, another gospel says it's their mother that pleads with Jesus for them, which I, I could see that, right? A, a nice Jewish mom going to talk to Jesus on behalf of her kids. And so the, the, the request is this. They know Jesus is going to be entering his kingdom. And so it's like he'll have someone on his right and someone on his left, right? Imagine this. They know he's the Messiah. They can see that. And they're thinking, I wonder who, when Jesus enters his kingdom, who's going to get that place of honor? And being kind of proactive sons of thunder, right? Let's, let's go and get our spot locked in. They're, they're trying to see if they could be on the right and left, which is a bit arrogant when you think, hey, could I be on your right and left forever in heaven when you enter your kingdom? I'm just asking a small thing, right? And so Jesus being gracious you know, he doesn't, you know, Jesus always had good answers. So he goes, well, you don't really know what you're asking. Because, um, you know, I have to drink from a bitter cup of suffering to attain my place of glory. I'm going to have to go through some things. And if you're going to be part of that, if you're going to be sitting in those spots, you're going to have to do the same thing. Can you do that? Could you drink the cup of suffering? And they go, we are able. They, they don't even know what they're saying. You ever done that? You responded quickly and said yes to something and then later thought, I didn't have a clue what I was really saying. I've done that. Well, these guys have no idea. We are able. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see. And, and Jesus actually, you know, says, well, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. This is not good to hear. And be baptized with my baptism of suffering. Wow, how's that for a prophetic word? Whew. I, I want to write that down. I'm going to drink from the bitter cup. So he's saying you're going to go through, which they did. They, they, they did go through very difficult times. But he says, I have no right to say who will sit on my right or left. God is the one who's prepared the way for that. Now, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Think about this for a minute. How would you feel if two of the guys went off and tried to cut a deal with Jesus to sit in that special spot? How would you feel? I'd be ticked off too. I'd be like, you guys. We should have gone together. Maybe there could be six on either side of them. Come on. You're cutting us out of the deal. So they're indignant. It says they're indignant. It would be interesting to know what that discussion was like. So Jesus calls them together. He says, hey, guys, this is a little learning moment. Come here. we got to talk about this. You, you're all aware of it. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. And they're like, yep, that's the way it works. That's why we wanted to be on your right and left, because that's the position of power. We want power. But among you, he says, it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. How fun does that sound? The slave of everyone else. Jesus, wow. And then he says, now here's the big one. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life. As a ransom for many. You know, they're looking at Jesus and they're thinking, this is a man on ascendancy. This is a guy on the climb. And we're attached to him. And so let's, 
let's milk this. Let's get our full position. Let's do our best. And, and the problem with the other 10 is they're probably thinking, dang it, why didn't we do that? You know, in some ways, I bet they're thinking, those guys got in first. We should have been there. So they're fighting for, for position. Jesus says, look, hey, listen, guys, hey, you got it wrong here because the greatest is the servant. And even Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. Isn't that, a, isn't that an amazing concept? The way up, it's the upside down kingdom. The way up is down, right? The way to greatness is to serve, is to come underneath other people. That's what Jesus is telling them. That's a forerunner mindset. That's John the Baptist's mindset. Now let's look at another passage here that shows Jesus and how Jesus was able to do this. Because here's the challenge. Let me just say this. I think being a true servant at times is really difficult. Anybody ever with me on this? It's tough. Not you, Richie. I know. It's okay. But, but I, I, I know that it's hard sometimes to be the true servant. And there's things that get in the way. And Jesus, I think, deals with this in John chapter 13. Let me read this for you. So this is, this is like the final night that Jesus is alive. And how many people know that kind of the final time you see somebody, their final words, their final actions are pretty significant, right? Especially if someone's going to pass away and what they say to you and that kind of thing. Like we, we take note of last words. Well, Jesus is is not being ad hoc in his final evening with his disciples. He's doing things very deliberately. He does them because he's setting patterns for us, not just his disciples. So one of the things he does is this, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now look at this, verse 3. you got to hear this really carefully. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Jesus knew the Father gave him authority over everything. In other words, Jesus was good in his own skin, right? Jesus was, he knew who he was. He knew what he was called to do. He had a very honest sense of who he was. And that's important because look, Tie this together. It says in verse 4, so, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this connection. I, when I read it, I see this connection. You know, we could say, well, Jesus, of course, Jesus knew he was the Son of God. He knew that he was leaving and all this, so he, he, you know, he's going to wash his disciples' feet. It's the final thing. It's powerful. I think it's even deeper than that. Why could Jesus, who's the Son of God, who's the Messiah, why could he humble himself, take off his robe, kneel down, and wash his disciples' stinky feet? Why could he do that? You know why? Because he knew who he was. He was totally confident in who he was, in who God made him, and that his value was secure. He was not, Jesus was not insecure whatsoever. So to serve other people, to stoop down, wash stinky feet, do the things that maybe no one would notice, do the things that, that maybe you'd think, that's beneath me. Jesus would think, no, it's, nothing's beneath me because I know who I am. I know who my father is. I know who I am and I have authority. Now, I want to share this with you because I think that, listen to this. I think that 
Often we look at, I talked a couple weeks ago about knowing who we are in Christ, right? How important it is that we understand who we are in Christ, how he's made us, the promises he's made for us. And I think that obviously is very important. But I think it's, it's important not just for us. Now, often we'll focus, I know in my life, I'll focus on the importance for me. Okay, so I need to know who I am in Christ because I need to, God wants to heal me of fear. He wants to heal me of insecurity. He wants to heal me of a lot of things that I'm fighting with, which is true. But one thing we forget sometimes is that knowing who we are in Christ and having an honest understanding of it changes who we are to other people. It changes who we are to the world around us. When you and I are secure in our love for God and his love for us, when we when we really are in that place, listen, you and I can become the most impacting because we're, we'll be willing to give our lives away. We'll be willing to say, you know, I'm not so tied up in this behavior or this action or this position that I can humble myself because I know who I am. I know that I'm loved no matter what. I know that I'm cared for by the Father. And so I can do this thing. I can, and if, if I'm never given credit, if I'm never applauded, if it's totally hidden away, I'm okay. Because I know who watches me. I know who sees me. I know who I'm serving. Do you understand? Now, this might be easy to say, but we struggle with this. Come on. We do. I do. I struggle with this at times. Yeah, I want to serve, but I want everyone to see that I'm serving. Come on. Anyone else carnal like me? No, you're perfect. Never feel that way, Pastor. We need to pray more for you. You're really struggling. You know, but, but I'm serious. I, I, I want, I, you know, I want to do these hard things. I want to do these, but, but I, I want to be seen. I want to be known. I, I want to feel the value. And God says, you don't need to, you, you know that you're valuable to me. You know that I applaud. You know that you have your reward from me. You know that I see what's done in secret, right? Yes. You know that I love you no matter what, Right. Yes. And even when other people don't understand you and they're going to maybe criticize you because you're doing what I called you to do. But you know, I love you and you know, I'm with you. Yes. So are you willing to serve me by laying your reputation down? Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? See, it's so important. We get this because the foundation, number one, of a true servant heart or a forerunning servant heart is knowing who you are and the authority you have. Knowing who you are and the authority you have. We can only truly serve others When we're healed, when God gives us a clear picture. That's why I talked about a few weeks ago about some of the things we can do to shore up that belief system. The the scriptures we can look at that talk about who we are in Christ. Those daily faith declarations. I talked about how God had spoken things to me over the years about who I am. And so I have a list of them that I've written down over time. Can I just, you know, and I, I know I've talked about this before, but... Just feel to really continue to emphasize it because I think it's so important. When God speaks to us and gives us nuggets of truth about us, you know, prophetically, in his word, we need to grab that like gold. We need to say, oh, wow, I am not going to forget this. And we need to write it down. And we need to remind ourselves because we're in a world that just isn't going to affirm us, right? And, and let me just say this. The deeper you and I go in serving God and being willing to step out and be obedient, the more we're going to need to reaffirm his love for us and know who he says we are. I really believe that. And, and, and just, so I just, I know I keep banging that drum, but I just feel like for all of us, I want to encourage you lovingly to really push in and write those things down and pray them over your life. And say, God, I don't want to believe 
what someone else said I am. I don't want to believe what the devil says I am. I want to believe what you say, who you say I am. I want to believe who you made me to be. And I'm going to grab a hold of that and I'm not going to be pushed around. You know, one thing God spoke to me about, he, he just said, Ian, don't be passive about what I want to do in your life. Don't be passive. Don't, don't just assume. Don't just kind of like, if it'll, it'll be, if it'll be, and, and I'll just sit here on my recliner. No, he said, you press in in the ways you can. You pray. You believe. You, you be intentional about what I want to do and watch how I bring it to pass. Look, look what Luke 10, 19 says. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Wow. First John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you, the Jesus in you, the Spirit of God in you is greater than this evil, filthy world. Have you ever felt a little bit intimidated lately by the world? Have you ever thought about all that's going on? Does it ever make you feel a little anxious? Coronaviruses and all this stuff. Do you ever? Huh? Right? There's stuff out there. I mean, I know it hasn't impacted us. I pray to God it doesn't, right? Keep that barrier around us here in Calgary. But there's all sorts of stuff going on in the world. How do we have confidence? How can we still be at, well, because the one who's in me is greater than the one who's in the world. The, the spirit of God in me is greater. I have the Lord on my side. Ephesians 2, 6, this is it. And raised us up with him. And seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. You know, here's, here's positionally what you need to think about. Do you realize that when Jesus died, now this is positional truth, but when Jesus died on the cross and he was buried in the grave and he rose again from the grave and then ascended into heaven, do you realize that when you and I receive what he did, we are positionally with him? We are with them in heavenly places. We, we actually are forgiven, but we're not just forgiven and just kind of slugs on the earth. He actually brings us above and gives us victory over the enemy. And he says, it's like you are seated with me in heavenly places. You are an overcomer because of what I've done. Is anybody else excited about this? I'm getting a little excited. This is, this is just basic stuff. I know that, but... We forget sometimes in this dark world. We forget in the circumstances we have that God says, I am greater. I am with you. You're with me in heavenly places. And I empower you. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Wow, you receive power. You know, Val and I have been talking more and more about this. And how we feel the need more than ever to have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. See, listen, what you and I believe is not a static mental belief system. This isn't like a set of dogma. This isn't like a, you know, let's just believe these good things. And they, they'll make us good people. And we'll have a good life. And we'll have good principles to follow. Let me just say something. It is more than that, church. It's more than that. Because the power of the Holy Spirit, He, he gives us power. And that's something we really hold on to as a church. You know, we believe that as you become a Christ follower, God wants you to come to him and get rid of your sin and be forgiven and, and come into relationship. And then he wants to give you power. He wants to fill you with his spirit. 
And I don't know about you, but I can sometimes begin to work in my own strength. And I'm not spending time with him and asking him to fill me with his spirit. You know, uh, the other day I was just driving somewhere and, and I hadn't had a really long prayer time. <gasps> Pastor, really? I'm shocked. I hadn't had a really long prayer time. And, and I was going somewhere and I, and, I was, and I was feeling the need and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, um, just ask me to empower you. Just stop right now. What, you know, as you're driving, just stop. And, and so as I was driving, I just said, Father, you know that I haven't had this amazing prayer time today and I regret that and I feel a little weak right now. And I'm sorry about that. Father, I need to be near you. But as I'm driving right now, Holy Spirit, would you just come and fill me? I need your presence in my life. I am not good in myself. I need your presence. And I felt him. I felt him come. It's like he said, you know, I was just waiting for you to ask. Waiting for you to invite me to come into your day and into your time today. And, and I was empowered. I felt the strength of the Holy Spirit. See, we're not in this on our own. This isn't cerebral. This is interactive. This is relationship. And we need him more and more. You receive power. So the first foundation is knowing who you are and the authority you have. And that's just a quick survey touch on that. And I want to move into the second one. The second foundation is right here. John 3, 26 to 30. And so they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Now, here's what happened. And, and John's disciples started to struggle, okay? Because John was the big deal. John had the big ministry. He was getting the press. The TV cameras were following John. He was on the internet. I mean, it was all over the place. John the Baptist, he's baptizing. It's amazing. Viral, right? But all of a sudden, Jesus rises up. And, and, and the crowds start dwindling for John. And the crowds are getting bigger for Jesus. And so some of, um, some of John's people are starting to feel a little bit, you know, like, have we, do we have the wrong horse here? Like, I, you know, I, I think they're struggling a little bit with, with the fact that they're kind of jealous for, for John. They're like, well, what can we do to pump up his numbers? You know, like he's, he's declining here. Like, how can we get our man back, back into the news cycle? And, and, and John says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven, which is a really humble response. John realizes, listen, you and I need to realize the same thing. Everything we have, folks, is a gift, right? Like you and I really have earned nothing. You and I don't have anything that we've not been given. John was saying, like his disciples were like, John, we're a little bit you know, jealous for you. What can we do here? And he's like, I have nothing that I haven't been given. And so if I don't have it anymore, it never was mine. I'm okay, right? Like he just has a real servant heart towards what God wants to do through his life. And that's the same for us. I don't know about you, but I get into trouble when I get possessive. Anybody else ever been there? I get possessive. Oh, that's my thing. That's my gift. That's my ministry. That's my, and, and then God says, is it? I remember when we had to leave the church in Madison Hat that we had, um, in, a, in essence, replanted, renamed, got a building, it, it grew. It was wonderful. And then God said, I want you to move to Calgary, and, uh, and which sounds simple, right? But I had a hard time. I started getting into the nitty-gritty of it, letting it go, and I'm like, I don't want to do this, right? Like, I'm, this hurts. This, I've invested my life here, right? You know, I mean, and I started getting a little entitled about what I deserved, right? Because I... 
And that's when the Holy Spirit just said to me, I remember really clearly, he goes, you know, it's my church, not yours. And you were a steward for a time. But now I'm calling you to move on. So wrap it up and move on. He wasn't super gracious. <laughs> he was very, very lovingly blunt. But he was like, you know, son, listen, like, don't, don't get all, don't get all wrapped up. I have other things for you. Um, let this go. It's not yours. And see, that's kind of what John was dealing with. It's not yours. And so John had a healthy heart. He had, he had the forerunner's heart that says, hey, it's all about servanthood and humility. So verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who is the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly. <laughs> Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. Friend of the bridegroom, right? We're the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, right? We're, we're the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. And he says, I'm the friend of the bridegroom, and I stand and I hear him, and I rejoice greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, his joy of mine is, this joy of mine is fulfilled. What was he saying? He, then verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Wow, what a mature mindset. Hey guys, listen, I, I'm supposed to shrink now and he's supposed to get greater. And I'm okay because I know who I am. I know what I'm called to do so I can let it go. Isn't that powerful? Now see, this is, this is key for all of us in our own lives. It's a bigger picture thing. It's a smaller picture thing. It's all about our ability to serve and to walk in that humility. So, so foundation number two is lifting up others above yourself. Lifting up others above yourself. We want to be a true servant-hearted forerunner that goes ahead of others and makes a way for them to know Jesus. We need to lift them up above ourselves. You know, uh, many of you would know Brian Acey, a good friend of ours from uh, used to pastor in Helena, Montana, and lives uh, in Bozeman, Montana now, Brian and Margaret. They're, they're, uh, for a long time, their slogan as a church was lifting others up. Isn't that awesome? We always love that, lifting others up. What are we about as a church? We're about lifting others up. We're coming under other people. It's about them. It's not about us. It's about how can we bring others into the kingdom? So how do we create a culture where we do this? How can we do that in our church? We're going to be forerunner church. And it's good to declare those things. But how can we actually, in a servant-hearted way, be forerunners? Well, here's some simple things, folks. This isn't really super hard. Number one, we can use our words. How many people know words are powerful? You know, I, I did an analogy once. Uh, I won't do it here. But I did it in, in our church in Messenhat. It was like the first year. And so I wanted to show certain things about the power of words. So I had a tube of toothpaste. Many of you know where I'm going with this. So, so uh, I had the biggest guy. He was like Arnold. He was big. Like he was a big guy in our church. And I said, uh, I, I called Corey up. And I said, Corey, would you come up and help me here? Okay. So then I said, Corey, would you like get all the toothpaste out of this toothpaste roll? Just squirt it all out. And he did. He did a good job. Like he just, you know, he's just like thorough. Like there was nothing in that tube, right? It was gone. And then I said, okay, Corey. Now, I want you to try to put it all back in the tube. You know, it's impossible, right? That's the analogy. Except Corey took it as a challenge. <laughs> I was trying to mess my analogy up, right? So Corey's up there working hard, pushing in the toothpaste. I'm like, Corey, that's enough. No, I'm going to. He keeps trying. 
there was still some not there, but there was a lot in the tube. I mean, he was, if I'd given him another five minutes, I mean, my whole analogy would have been destroyed. <laughs> so funny. But, but, but here's the analogy. It's like normally, except for people like Corey, when you squirt out toothpaste from a tube, you can't get it back in, right? Like it's not, it's hard to get back in. And, and that's the power of words. You know, you and I say stuff. You ever said stuff and you thought, oh, dang, I wish I never said that. Can you just wipe their brain, you know, or do something? Because I can't, I can't take that back. Like, it's like I can't go, you know, somebody goes, oh, and you're like grabbing the words. You can't, you can't do that. It's gone. And, and once you've said it, you can't unsay it. You can't get it back in the tube. And so words are so powerful. So here's my challenge to you and myself. You know, we need to be those who think on the front end of our words. We need to think about the purpose. We need to think about the tone. We need to think about what is this going to accomplish. So 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Encourage one another. That's your words. Build one another up. Ephesians 4. 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's a good filter right there, isn't it? Um, are the words I'm going to say right now corrupt? Yes, then shut up, right? Like, <laughs> Are the words I'm going to say right now going to build up the person I'm talking to? No, same, don't talk. <laughs> Is it going to give grace to those who hear? I remember when we were youth pastors in Tabor, we had a little saying. And we didn't invent it. Someone else did. But we thought it was clever. And we, we'd be driving with our youth in the van, you know. And uh, we had a great bunch of young people. But, you know, things happen. Stuff starts being said. And so we had a little saying. And it was, it's almost 4.30. And what it meant was, if you look at Ephesians 4.30, it says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. So the first part, 4.29, says, don't speak all this garbage. And then 4.30 says, or you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. So when we'd go... It's almost 4.30. Or like saying, hey guys, getting a little out there. Holy Spirit's ready to leave the van. <laughs> right? <laughs> Better pipe it in. It's almost 4.30. Listen, some of us need to think the same thing. Hey, listen, it's almost 4.30. I'm grieving the Holy Spirit right now. What I'm saying isn't right. When I, the way I'm responding, the way I'm talking to that person. Holy Spirit's going, oh, you're grieving me. That's corrupt talk, right? We need to use our words to build up, not to tear down. Hebrews 3.13 says, but exhort one another every day. Wow, as long as it's called today. Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, here's the problem, folks. If we don't speak life and listen to life and pour in life, the world's going to harden you. It'll harden you. It'll harden you with sin. It'll, it'll get you cynical. And you'll get hard and you'll get grumpy and you'll start saying stuff you don't really mean. And later you'll realize it. But in the meantime, until you realize it, you did a whole bunch of damage. Anybody been there? Right? It's like on the front end, I don't want to have to deal with damage. I don't want to speak this garbage. You know, there's times I've had to stop myself from saying stuff and thought, I think I'm channeling the devil right now. Seriously, I'm like, what am I saying? What am I, what's this attitude I have? Wait a minute. Who, who's feeding this to me? This isn't the Holy Spirit. 
I'm proclaiming my fears and worries and proclaiming how, like, wait a minute. This is corrupt talk. This grieves the Holy Spirit. Sorry, lovingly, some of you need to hear this right now, right? <laughs> and I do too, and I take it on myself. But our words, our words can be forerunners. Our words are going to create, they're going to serve people. Here's a, here's a few quotes on this. This was anonymous. I don't know why this person was anonymous. This is a good quote. Don't mix your words with your mood. You can change your mood, but you can't take back your words. Right? Well, I was in bad mood yesterday. Yeah, well, you wreak destruction in your bad mood. <laughs> Got to go to your kids and repent of your bad mood. Um, word, Joyce Meyer says it's so good. Words are containers for power. You choose what kind of power they carry. They're containers for power, good or bad. What power does your words carry? What are you proclaiming? Um, poet Pearl Hurd said this, handle them carefully for words have more power than atomic bombs. Blaise Pascal, the great scientist, right? He was also a Catholic theologian. He said, kind words do not cost much, yet they accomplish much. And then lastly, may every word that is ever spoken by our mouths be words that lift up and never words that tear down. You know, just a quick quick note about how powerful words can be. So 1990, I don't know, seven or eight, somewhere in there, my dark years. <laughs> That's how I feel about those years. I was in a tough spot, church in Tabor. If you read my book, you'd, you'd hear about those, those moments, but it's financial struggles, emotional struggles, ministry struggles because I had no ministry, just in a tough spot. I remember one Sunday, this uh, visiting minister came with his wife, Polly Erb, from Herbert, Saskatchewan. And uh, she came over to Val. This is the power of words. And this is what I want to speak, encourage you to see as far how you can help others. She came to Val and she said, I have a word for your husband. And just give it to him. The deeper the valley, the greater the call. The deeper the valley, the greater the call. Well, I was in a rough spot. I was despairing about my call and my future. And so Val said, Polly gave me this message for you, the deeper the valley, the greater the call. And it touched my heart. It, it gave me life for the next period of time. I held on to that because she didn't know me. She didn't know what I was going through. And she gives me this word that's like life to me. And I carried that for, for a long time. I just saw Polly at an event here, uh, conference last weekend. I said, thanks again. I said, I know I keep thanking you, but you, you, you made a difference. And I told her, I told her AMP, our school, our network school, all about it and told them her example because to me, timely words, you don't ever realize timely words and what they impact. The second thing is, and then I'm done, second point here, words are a way to come underneath other people and secondly, join together with others to invest in their lives. Look at what Hebrews 10 says. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, let me unpack that briefly, okay? Let us consider how to stir up one another. One of the best ways you can serve other people and you can be a forerunner for other people is to join together with them in church or other gatherings. One of the best ways you can do it is to bless them with your presence. Seriously. And, and that's what the Bible says. Let us consider how to stir one another up. And not neglect meaning together. You know, there's a lot of good teaching on the internet now, right? There is. I mean, you could be sitting home right now watching some of the world's greatest preachers on the internet. You could say, why do I need, why do we need to be in church? 
I mean, I'm getting all my feeding. Can I tell you why you need to be in church? Because there's people in church and there's not people on your computer on the internet. And God's saying to you and me, meet together. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Don't neglect it. Consider how you can stir one another up. You know, I like uh, a story uh, that I heard uh, uh, Doug Scott. It's right over here. Doug, just wave your hand. It's a good man of God. Comes most Sundays, sets up, serves hard. It's a blessing. And uh, just hearing his story, and I know I've heard this. I know he shared it with Joel as well. But when uh, he was thinking of coming back to church, because he'd been gone for a number of years, and he was pondering whether he really needed to. Right, Doug? And uh, your lovely sister, who's sitting right beside you, Mary, said to him, well, Doug, uh, actually, have you ever thought that you need to be in church, not for you, but for other people? That actually there's a reason for you to be there for others, Right. And she put in you the thought of, you're not just here for yourself. You're here to bless others and serve others, which you're doing. Thank you. And, uh, and that was powerful. And that's the mindset, right? Well, why do we come to church? Is it just for me? Because if it's just for me, well, how was the worship? Ah, oh, yeah, it could be better. I don't know. I didn't have any warm fuzzies today. How was the preaching? Ah, he was as weird as ever, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, it could be like that. But, but here's the thing. It's not all about that. There's something more. And, and here's what I want to lovingly encourage you to do. When you come to church, what if, you, what if you and I came and we said, let us consider. Let us consider before we go to church how we could spur one another on. So, Father, before I go to church today, who do you want me to share something with? You know that message about the deeper the valley, the greater the call. Maybe, God, as you bring that to church with you. And you come over and, and, and you see somebody and the Lord put it on your heart before church and you saw them and you came over and you said, hey, listen, I was praying for you today and, and I felt like God wanted to encourage you. Wouldn't that be amazing? And that day you gave them a gift that maybe helped them to keep on and they were ready to quit. Wouldn't that be amazing? See, that's what church is, right? It's more than, you know, amazing worship and all that. It's I get to come, consider how I might be a blessing. And then I carried that, and someone else gave that to me, and I gave that to them, and we all left built up. Whew, I'm so excited today. Okay. <laughs> Philippians 2, 4 says, let, it, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right? Not just, it's not just me. It's not just my interests. It's the interests of others. God, help me to see their interest. You know, when I was going to Bible school, think about this for a minute. Going to Bible school to become a pastor, to care for other people. And then they said, hey, we want you to go to a small group every two weeks. And I'm like, what? I'm in chapel all week. I'm in, you know, school all week. I'm learning all this stuff. What, what, what would I gain from being in a small group? Literally, that's how I thought. And, we, and, and this woman was talking to us about it. And I literally said that, which was so stupid. I was 19. Give me a break, right? But I said, why do we? And she goes, and she says, well, you are here in Bible school learning how to care for other people. And maybe you should consider that you have something for them. Oh, yeah, right? I'm being filled up to give out. Oh, right. This is an opportunity for me to give to them. Oh, I thought it was all about me going to Bible school. Well, I went to that group. I loved it. I mean, I'm sure I was able to impart to them. They imparted to me. I was blessed, right? 
And see, we, we just have it backwards sometimes. Oh, I won't get anything out of going there. Well, maybe go with something, and then they'll get something out of it, and you'll get something out of it. Come on, I'm being real, because I've been there. You know, we, we are spectators sometimes, and we have this. Anyway, I could go on and on about this. I remember, last story, and then I am done. I was in the prayer room at Portland Bible College. And uh, <laughs> so Edie Iverson, this is like the pastor's wife. And she's there. And she was like a firecracker, right? So I'm being really quiet and just kind of, you know, contemplative in the corner. And so she comes over to me and says, hey, you need to speak up. You need to put out what's in you. Come on. Like, she just really, I mean, I'm, I'm like rising, right? Okay, I'm prophesying. Like, <laughs> she stirred me up. But what was she saying? She's saying, don't be passive. Don't just sit there like you don't have anything. You have something. You have something to give. Right? Listen to me. You have something to give to this church. You're here for a reason. You're here to be blessed. You're here to receive. But there's something in you. There are words in you. There are gifts in you. There are things that God has placed in you, stories in you, that he says, I want to give them to other people. And so when you come, it's not just for you or for me. It's for those people. And if we all came prepared, if we all said, Lord, how can I stir someone up today? What can I speak today? And even when we're in tough spots, church, even when we're hurting, even when it's hard for us, if we come prepared, we'll get fed too. Is that something?